Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Also Sport Podcast. We run the rule over the F1 2020 driver market and ask who's going where next season. August may mean a break in the racing for Formula 1, but it's traditionally the point where the driver market silly season ratchets up a gear. That certainly proved to be the case this year, with Red Bull announcing at the start of the week that Alex Albert has been promoted, with Pierre Gasly sent back to Toro Rosso for the second half of the season. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to dissect the potential comings and goings first is Ben Anderson, making a return to the Autosport podcast. Hello, Ed. Are you full of insight today? Always. Always. The driver market's... uh fascinating uh, particularly this year because there's so much up for grabs even ahead of 2021 when we expect everything will be up for grabs yeah 2021 is a sort of big focus as we saw last year with ricardo's move sometimes unexpected dominoes fall in unexpected places and uh, all sorts can happen and i'm also joined by uh, by scott mitchell swedish ambassador to the autosport podcast yep delighted to be here thank you ed obviously um, you're you're the uh, you're the de facto Swedish ambassador to the Autosport podcast now, aren't you? After your journey to to Stockholm, where I think you've uh, you have uh, prepared a, a special Swedish podcast that I guess you'll release in due course. Yes, uh, famous Swedish racing driver. That was uh, that was great fun. Located not far outside Stockholm. Yeah, very successful uh, trip. To, to Are Sweden. you keeping the identity secret? Yeah, I want, to, I want people to be excited and shocked and amazed. Every Autosport podcast when it appears in your podcast device of choice should be a surprise and a delight <laughs> it's just like un, it's like a little press like every so basically you want the podcast is basically for your for your re, uh, for your audience the, the listeners basically it's christmas day every time isn't it all oh, what, oh, what what's my what's my gift today oh it's this person exactly admittedly with the equivalent of kind of the person who's run around at seven o'clock on the previous night on christmas eve trying to scrape together some kind of uh, <laughs> some kind of present so it's kind of the uh it's the late night petrol station podcast lineup that's uh, late, <laughs> late, the late night petrol station podcast is a superb name for the podcast yeah that's can we a, rename it that's an off i think that'll be an offshoot <laughs> well we have now got the company does have a a diverse portfolio of podcasts including of course flat chat with codders flat chat with codders the f1 association podcast, with f1 racing which usually has been powered on. by hmm. 
Yeah. Well, and the same thing, aren't they? Really? And the current edition of that, I'd particularly recommend, of course, because I'm on it. Because people listening to this won't be bored enough of uh, hearing me drone on. <laughs> so there's another chance to uh, to hear from me. Well, let, let's get on with the the drive for market, Scott. So we will go down the the Red Bull Toro Rosso line first, as that's kind of the uh, the opening salvo in the in the driver market uh, for next year. Albon's in at Toro Rosso. No, he's not. Albon's in at Red Bull. Gasly going the other way back to Toro Rosso for the second half of the season. And although Gazi's underperformance and the lack of points there is clearly part of it, they've made it very clear that Albon going in there is part of an evaluation process as well. Yeah, I don't blame you for stumbling over that because uh, trying to work out which Red Bull drivers where is is quite difficult, isn't it? it They're all quite, everywhere, exactly, aren't they? It's just a merry-go-round. Like yo-yoing, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it it's interesting because it's not just a case. It's not like Gasly's been sacked and they're putting Albon in for the sake of it. They're keeping Gasly and the family by putting him back to Toro Rosso to hopefully rebuild his confidence and, and, and just sort of see if they can spark him back to life, basically. Um, they know Danny Kvyat extremely well at Red Bull Racing, so they know what they're getting from him from an engineering point of view. The team know what he's like to work with. Red Bull can see how much more mature he is now at Toro Rosso. So, you know, he's also someone that they've tried and you know failed with so I can see why they're not rushing to put him back in but that doesn't mean he's out of the picture because they've got so much data on him and he's in the junior team so he is still someone there if if, if the Albon move doesn't work and Gasly doesn't reinvent himself at Torosso, Kvyat basically becomes your well last resort basically within the the junior, the junior scheme i know that it's a, it's a harsh way of putting it but he is very much third in the pecking order for for the second red bull seat and Kvyat uh, maybe becomes the dependable solid solid choice yeah exactly it's it's, it's not a it, it sounds so much worse to say that you're just he's just left as the he's the reserve if no one else is good enough but you know, he has to be in that situation anyway and he's he's done just about enough to to, to be in consideration, but Albon's the guy who's got the um, the big chance now. It's not it's not a, an enviable position in a way because nine races to prove your worth alongside Max Verstappen is enough to make anyone cry. Uh, so that's pretty pretty scary. But he has nine races to stake his claim up on a potentially title winning car next season, which is a pretty cool position to be in for someone who this time last year had no F1 prospects for for 2019 and was was going to be heading off to race in Formula E. It, it is a, amazing how the situation's changed. I mean, I, I think Gasly's chance of getting back into Red Bull are minimal because, as we said recently, we did the podcast with Oleg Karpov, our Russian colleague, talking about could Kvyat caveat take uh, the Kvyat caveat could, <laughs> could, could Kvyat take the the uh, take the Red Bull seat from from Gasly? And at that point, we were thinking Gasly would be in for the rest of the year. I mean, I I see the logic behind what Red Bull's done, although. Ideally, they will have. They did want and will have wanted to have kept Gasly in that in that lineup. He needed. Re- he needed to build on Silverstone, though, didn't he? That's the thing. Well, like, yeah, he's had one one so, so okay. Silverstone was a decent weekend. Ger- the, Germany a midfield performer. Hasn't Germany, there were a few promising signs. He did set a very quick qualifying lap, which got disallowed for track limits at the last corner. But it was that was almost on the same pace as Verstappen. So there was a little green shoot there, but the race wasn't good. And in Hungary, but was Hungary awful, just it? just fell away. But it's it's interesting how much that's changed, and I think. To me, that if we're looking at what Red Bull do next year, I'd say Gasly has hasn't got a chance in hell of getting back into that seat because I'd, I'd agree with if, you. If he if he was genuinely if they felt there was a way back, they'd have let him persevere this season. But I presume there's something. I think his failure to adapt, perhaps the approach he's taken, the attitude, even when they've made some supportive noises, which they have done a lot. Horner's made some. You know, Christian Horner, team principals, made some some supportive noises, but Gasly sort of. Sometimes gone against that because Horner said, "Yeah, he's changed his approach. That's good." And then Gazi said, oh, "I haven't changed my approach." And then Horner's, never a good oh, sign, Horner said, it? "Oh, we need to reset." And Gazi said, oh, "I don't think I need to reset." It's like, I, I, I do feel there was a little bit of disconnect between what the team wanted him to do and how Gasly was approaching it. And I do suspect that the performances were a big problem, but performances plus perfect attitude and approach in the team might have kept him, probably would have kept him in for the second half of the year. But if it's not right off track as well. That's presumably what's made the difference. It was building through the season, wasn't it? This disconnect that you mentioned. And you can tolerate that if the performances are there most of the time and you can work on the things off track. But I think, Scott, you'll know this very well. Hungary just turned the tide, didn't it? Like Red Bull have been progressing through this season and they've got to the point where they're pretty much the second best team now and they can win races in the right circumstances. And I'm sure Red Bull feels that Max Verstappen would have won the Hungarian Grand Prix had Pierre Gasly been performing at par 
base level, but as it was, he was nowhere to be seen at the front and that gave Hamilton his free pit stop, allowed him to come back at max. And effectively, Gasly's underperformance has cost Red Bull a victory and that's that's intolerable. And it's the first time this season that that's happened. And I think it was a big wake-up call for Red Bull uh, in terms of their ambition for individual races, in terms of their ambition of potentially beating Ferrari for second in the Constructors' Championship and ultimately their medium-term ambition of fighting for titles again because you need a, a rear gunner, you need a number two driver. They don't need two Max Verstappens in the team, but they need a Max Verstappen plus a number two. And Gasly's not, Gasly hasn't performed up to that level. I think Hungary was the absolute worst-case scenario for, for Gasly in terms of his prospects. So, it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously really easy now to look back and say, oh, there, there were signs and, and try and act like you could have preempted it or act like oh well maybe this was a clue but the bottom line is it's really easy to see why Hungary was the 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 turning point he continued his run of being massively inferior to Verstappen I think it was his worst performance of the year in qualifying relevant to Verstappen in terms of time which is pretty astonishing when you think that there must be at least half a dozen tracks that are longer than the Hungara ring and yet he was further away in terms of time here and that's a strong Red Bull track as well so you'd expect you know even if Verstappen is going to no, smash him every time that he would be stronger relative to the others and he had a good result there in Hungary last year as well in the Toro Rosso Ferrari's weakest weekend and, arguably and Gasly in general he's got the worst qualifying average compared to his teammate of anyone on the grid and, well, he's, he's, and he's almost been outscored by Sainz yeah, which is driving a, a, a midfield car he's got, absolutely he's got, Sainz who beats him in Hungary he's got 34% I think or maybe 35% of Verstappen's points you, you need in a top team historically if you want to win something like the constructors you need someone who's hitting about two-thirds of your lead well, driver's it, points it, that, that's okay two, I, if he was hitting two-thirds of the points that would be okay two-thirds is okay but but but, but bottas has bottas has three quarters of hamilton's points and leclerc's got something like 85 percent of vettel's points if if and bottas doesn't have a guaranteed drive as yeah, sure that, we'll this, this, this is historically yeah um, yeah no absolutely so, so what that says is actually that ferrari and mercedes will get onto them later have got quite balanced lineups in some ways. But if you had Gasly returning anywhere in that Bottas to Leclerc range of percentages, Red Bull would be second in the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, yeah. It's costing them a lot, isn't it? And I think Gasly would be out altogether if it wasn't, to a certain degree, Hobson's choice for Red Bull with their drivers at the moment. Like Kvyat's career just continually is resurrected. Albon's really the only punt now they've got and he wasn't really meant to be in that seat. That was a, a kind of scratching around for somebody because they didn't have anyone ready to, to step up. Now he looks like the best bet they have to be Max Verstappen's teammate. Right. And Kvyat and Gasly are kind of sitting there in the Toro Rosso seats because they've got no one else really ready to, to make the step. Well, right now, the ones at the top of the junior team, uh, Yuri Vepps, he's, he's in uh, F3 second and F3 at the moment. There's also Pato O'Ward, who, who also doesn't have super licence points, who's just been signed and he's in, uh, in Super Formula in Japan. So there's no one pushing up against them. But I guess when it comes down to we're looking at, at 2020, Albon is the guy in possession, if you like. If you're the incumbent, that always puts you in a strong position. I suspect that, well, I'm confident he'll do better than Gasly. As I was impressed with what Gasly did last year. However, it's become clear he's he's lacking that adaptability you need. Last year's Toro Rosso, you could be quite aggressive with. He was quite a for kind of aggressively rotating the car on the brakes, you know, which he did very, very well. But this Red Bull, you can't take that approach with now Albon fundamentally quite a smooth driver that's his default style he's had to adapt a bit to get the best out of the Toro Rosso which is a fairly lively car and the fact he's been able to adapt his default style and the fact his default style probably will work quite well with the Red Bull means I'm I'm confident he'll do he'll do better than Gasly once he's settled in and then it's a question of whether he does well enough. And but but it's if, the potential if, they're backing, isn't it? He's performed exactly. well against Kvyat, who's a known quantity, as Scott said, and vastly more experienced. And fellow rookies, George Russell, Lando Norris, both said Albon had the hardest job coming into this year of all of them because of his lack of preparation and how late the deal came together. And yet he's performed to a level where Rebel think he's worth a mid-season promotion. If he continues his trajectory, he is the standout candidate for them. Um, along, um, he's a standout candidate for them in what is a very limited pool. And I think the German Grand Prix actually was an important one for Albon because even though it's Kvyat who got the podium, that was uh, an outstanding performance from Albon. I'd argue his race performance was probably the best of anyone in that he, from the moment he made the early pit stop along with Vettel uh, after Perez crashed, he was always up there uh, running well. Kvyat was able to take a gamble and and and, and he had an incident with Gasly, didn't he, which compromised. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but but. Alban perform well, so I think that was a, that touch of all. Oh, that's that's 
pretty exceptional. He's just started to assert himself over Kvyat. I mean, as yeah. we said on our recent Kvyat podcast, he's a, he's a good option for Red Bull. But I think if assuming Albon does what he should do, he'll probably retain that seat. If they evaluate Albon and they decide, yeah, he isn't he isn't ready because they were concerned he's too raw, and that's fair because he's only done half a season in in Formula One. That creates an interesting question if they say, well, actually, we don't think Albon's quite ready. As we, as I said, I don't think Gazi's a serious option, and Kvyat probably is seen as a solid option. But they might have to say, well, do we want to go back down the Kvyat route? Do we I want, to, do we want to get a stop? Want do do we want, or do they need to get a stopgap from outside? Because I think actually Albon built some experience here, needs another year or two at Toro Rosso just to get to the level, and then they have to start looking for a, a stopgap interim. Option. Or does someone like Bottas become an option for Red Bull if Mercedes? decision goes against him you know, yeah, Toto Bot- Wolff is agonising over whether it's Bottas or Ocon as we speak we presume during Bot- the Bottas summer break a, on a beach somewhere he's, Bottas is a great option for anyone but that would be a departure from Red Bull's recent yeah, well, it'd be and an, it'd Horner's be an, consistently stated policy of we, we promote it would, be out of ne- and, it would be out of necessity wouldn't it it would be if they haven't got a driver there confident because next year they, they'll be thinking we could be in Constructors Championship contention and drivers' championship contention, so they need that option. And you mentioned Bottas, you know, scoring seventy-five percent of Lewis Hamilton's points. Now that's the kind of level they need from that second car, isn't it? And the way the Red Bull Junior program seems to be being squeezed from all sides it might mean that actually Red Bull's best option is to start looking outside and and moving away from their their previous recruitment policy. It's that catch twenty-two that Red Bull have put themselves in by having such a prodigious talent in the in the first car because. Ricardo, while he'll never say it, was obviously in Max's shadow and, and didn't like that. And there are quite a few million reasons why he's gone to, to Renault as well as wanting to build his own team and all of this and escape Max. But Ricardo's left. Um, the the situation with Gasly hasn't worked out as hoped. They've binned off. They always the, said it was a year too soon for Gasly as well. Yeah, exactly. They made a mistake not keeping signs, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, it does look that way, yeah. Definitely. But there was an element of there of signs getting impatient and wanting to, to strike out. And ultimately, Red Bull had that decision to, to make of, do you throw him in with Verstappen? And it, does that potentially evolve into a negative scenario for the team? Or do you say, okay, well, we're not going to hold you back so you can go off and do something else because we actually think that Gasly will do a good enough job and then Max is free to be the number one. So it wasn't the best situation to be in. This is what, why I just think it is a catch-22 when, when, when you're when you trying to pair someone with, with Verstappen. And they're just in a situation at the moment where the the the, the, the driver pull is, is weaker than they want it to be on the junior side, not helped by the fact that Dan Tictum sadly proved himself to be unreliable from Red Bull's point of view. I don't really think you can hold that decision against Red Bull too much. They backed him for as long as they thought was sensible. And then it sound, from, from everything you hear, it sounds like they felt that their, their hands were tied with whether they could or couldn't continue with Dan, who is a fantastic talent, but just too rough around the edges for even Helmut Marco, which says a lot. So they've, they, they had that, almost almost ready-made person to to slot in at Toro Rosso next year and if you you only need one driver to sun suddenly the situation does look quite different because then it's like okay well we've got these we've got Albon, Gasly, Kvyat they they can all be sort of stopgap solutions for the second Red Bull seat and then next year we'll partner the best of the people who don't make Red Bull with Tictum and then yep there we go everything's fine because then We've got we bought ourselves a bit more time, and you just have this. I think combination of circumstances have 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 just conspired to put Red Bull in a slightly weaker position than we would normally associate with them in terms of junior options. It wasn't that long ago that Red Bull was massively oversubscribed on junior drivers. Uh, we should uh, cover off Toro Rosso in this, and although we've assumed it's kind of four drivers for four seats, there is the wild card of uh, Naoki Yamamoto. He's on his way to a third Super Formula title, Honda contracted. Not exactly a young driver as he's uh, as he's thirty one. He will drive in free practice at at Suzuka. So Honda have got to want is Yamamoto Yamamoto not? Because you can see the appeal for Honda uh, for Red Bull rather. If they can keep Honda happy, they might think actually we think one of these drivers isn't worth persevering with. So maybe there is an opportunity to take the Japanese driver. And I think maybe there could be some interest in Red Bull. I'm not sure this is this is quite 
out of date, but I know when they were looking at Takuma Sato as a possible driver, one of the reasons was that Red Bull wanted a Japanese driver to help them in the Japanese market. was a decade ago, so I don't know much about the energy drinks market, so it may have changed, but perhaps a Japanese driver in a Honda-powered car in a Toro Rosso might, might serve Red Bull's wider objectives well also. So do, do we take him as a serious, credible contender? I think he's a serious part of the conversation. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say he's a serious contender, but I do think that any conversation that happens between now and the end of the year about which drivers are options, I think Yamamoto will crop up. I just don't know where exactly he fits into that conversation, if that makes sense. He will do a, he will do free practice. I'm pretty sure of that this year. I guess that will make a big uh, that will play a big role, won't it? Because if he if he's if he if he's astounding in that free practice session, then he becomes more. Credible. Well, it's a bit. I'm a bit fifty fifty on that because he, yeah, I, I'd be amazed if it's not Suzuka <laughs> that he does it. <laughs> does it? That. Um, Short odds but, on that. But it's the it's a track he knows really well, and it's a FP1. So how relevant is it to look at? But I guess you'd look at it from the point of view when when Max had his first FP1 run and you go, you're not looking, you're not going to look at one FP1 session and say, yeah, there you go, you're a superstar, but you're looking for competence, aren't you? You're mm. looking for how, how... Signs of life. Yeah, exactly. Showing that level of competence but, will, will also, help his cause. And also how he fits into the team. What's, you know, is there going to be a communication barrier? Do they think that that would work on a season basis. And if it goes well, then that conversation continues and they'll, they'll look at it seriously. Honda have never ruled it out. They've accepted that it's unlikely. He's never raced in Europe. He's a family man back home. So that, that's would big, that work the, for him? The fact that he has been a, a kind of Japanese racing lifer does, I think, count against him because it, it means there'll be lots of unfamiliar circuits. Yeah. You'd have to look at a driver like Naoki Yamamoto as a, a kind of two-year deal, if you like, whereas actually it almost feels like it's a one-year, do-a-year in F1 because Honda want you to and we like the idea and it's almost pointless putting him in for a learning year when he's going to be up against it if you're if you're not going to seriously have, think of him as a long-term prospect. It should have been Matsushita shouldn't it really but that well he was the guy that, that project just hasn't in, yeah. really quite worked out and there was another driver at Formula 3 level they were quite well they had a uh, Tadasuke Makino was the guy that they that they rated quite highly. He's out in uh, Super Formula now with yeah. um, uh, Narafa Kazumi um, but they're not setting the world alight out there. They've got a couple of kids in in Formula Three um, who seem. Uh, I think uh, Sunoda is one of them who Honda seem quite encouraged by. He's not in. He's with Genza. He's not with the best team by a long way. But he's still managing. He's still comfortably the quickest of those three drivers, and he's mm. hauling that car into the top ten, which isn't really bad when if you consider it's a team bias championship in terms of performance. Obviously, not that teams get extra power or anything like that mm. and there are 30 cars so if you're in the bottom one or two teams and you're in the top 10 you're doing a pretty decent job but honda have this uh history of just launching a driver into f2 there's a little bit marco style of well if we think if they're good enough put them in there give them a couple of years at the best level rather than just faff about at, at junior level but these mm. guys are new to europe and if those guys are struggling to adapt why would yamamoto have any more success stepping into F1 at, at, at that age with everything else away from family and, and, and stuff. It's difficult. Wild card then, isn't he? Really? It's very much a wild card. The, 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 the significance of a Japanese driver in F1, especially a Honda Japanese driver in F1, shouldn't be lost on the importance for F1 in Japan and, and, and in that part of the world in general. But the, there's the, the prospect of Honda success is also massive. They don't, I don't think they necessarily rely on a Japanese driver because so for Suzuka this year, there's going to be a Red Bull and Toro Rosso grandstand. Honda have put that up and they've sold 15,000 seats for it already because it's just, they love Honda. So mm. there's this massive, Gasly and Hartley last year were superstars at Suzuka. They were work, like the hero worshipped. It's the same when, um, when McLaren were there with Honda and, and, and tugging around at the back of the midfield. Still, they still love it because it's Honda. So you get this massive support out there already. When when they when Verstappen won in Austria, it was national news in Japan. And Max is dual nationality, Belgian and Dutch, but he's also, there's no Japanese in him. <laughs> and yet he's still massively popular out there because he's just doing well for Honda. So the Japanese driver angle is significant. I'm not. I don't think that would be the sort of thing if in a tie break situation would his nationality see him over the line. Not entirely convinced they've got the same problem as Red Bull haven't they it's just a lack of 
credible options. So it probably will end up being four drivers for four seats. There's a holding pattern until 2021, and then you you look again. Yeah, that makes sense. And and Albon, as, a, as the incumbent, will have uh, will have the edge in that because uh, yeah, he's he can perform at a level that will hang on. So well, let's move on to Mercedes, Ben. That's kind of the key move in the driver market. Toto Wolff said in Hungary that the choice is between Bottas or Ocon, who's the currently the reserve driver who's doing the simulator work. George Russell, he said it's too early, so we'll put George Russell to one side. He's a very serious contender for down the line. Yeah. So if it if we take Wolff at his word, and there's no reason why not to, that it's a choice between Bottas or Ocon, who would you go for? <laughs> I would go for Ocon, simply on the basis that Bottas has had a decent stab at... Uh, trying to match Hamilton, trying to beat Hamilton. The pattern of each of his seasons alongside Lewis has been very similar, strong start. And then as Lewis finds his rhythm and the car improves, Bottas tails off. Uh, the questions over his racecraft still remain, as we saw in Hungary. He's not really been able to take his opportunities when Lewis has underperformed this season, which has been few and far between, but there have been some. Well, Hockenheim was, a, was a great example of an opportunity missed and that, that kind of and, and blasted him out of t- a t- real title contender. Absolutely, yeah. And, and and he is the only other credible title contender, really. I know people are talking about Max as an outside bet now because of Red Bull Honda's improvement, but that's kind of clutching at straws, isn't it? It's a, it's It has been a two-horse race so far within Mercedes. and Bottas Especially has, with grid penalties on the horizon. So Yeah, and B- Bottas has just been found wanting. Is two but, really, I mean, but, really good recent opportunities after obviously getting pole in Hungary as well sorry after getting a front row start in Hungary he just hasn't been able to take well, he knew in Hungary that he had to make the most of that and he said after the race he's trying to be aggressive at the start and he had the lock up he got out out fumbled by Hamilton and then there was a contact with Leclerc that as we discussed before actually he had a bigger hand in than it initially looked because he did drift right once Leclerc had stopped I, mean, so I, I think we know what we get from Bottas yes you'll get a driver who now can He's, he's qualifying within a tenth on average of Hamilton. Over his whole Mercedes career, he's out-qualified Hamilton a third of the time. Qualifying's not really the problem, so he's, he's doing what he needs to do for them there. But the race, it's the tyre management and the wheel-to-wheel stuff. And, that, and, and bagging the, the points. The I know he's got 75% of well, executing races points, but you know he he's tailed off to the point where he's finished in the past well below where he should do in the championship. And at the moment, he can get away with it to a certain extent because Mercedes rivals are not, at the races, Ferrari have fallen off a cliff this year. Red Bull are still building up with Honda. But as that battle at the front gets more competitive, if Ferrari get their act together next year, uh, if Red Bull's present trajectory continues, there's going to be a lot more pressure on the performance of that second car. And okay, it's much easier for Mercedes to manage Hamilton and Bottas as a partnership because Bottas is subservient and doesn't cause trouble. Ocon is potentially... uh, much more difficult to handle because he's younger and has ambitions, obviously, uh, that have been untested yet in uh, that arena against Lewis. But I think Mercedes need to give themselves a few more management headaches, bank on the potential that Ocon may uh, do more with that car than Bottas has shown himself capable of. And that should then, if Ocon does deliver, uh, reinforce Mercedes in their battle against Red Bull and Ferrari. I think they've got to go Ocon because otherwise, bottom line is, Red Bull gets a lot of stick for how it handles its drivers and especially the young drivers on the, the scheme. And there is obviously a lot of attention at the moment on this this lack of options. But Mercedes is a Lewis Hamilton retirement away from being in an even worse position because they don't have a junior drivers outside of, of, of F1. They've got, one, they've got a kid at the very beginning of the, of the of the pyramid um but if they don't go for Ocon they lose him so then who have they got they've got Lewis and Valtteri so they've got and George Russell one of the best drivers in F1 history and an established number two but not a number one driver and George Russell at Williams who is obviously packed with potential but is nowhere near proven at the top in F1 so when if if they don't blood Ocon they don't get him in and he is is cut free from Mercedes and then Lewis walks away at the end of 2020 that, that that's not a strong position to be in for the, the the title winning team looking to continue its situation it's exactly the same situation Red Bull's in if they if they lose Verstappen you all you then have is a bunch of number two options basically because I'm not saying that 
George couldn't be thrown in at Mercedes and suddenly win races and maybe fight for the title straight away, a la Lewis at McLaren or any or something like or like we've seen from Leclerc against Vettel this year. But it's a really, really big ask. And it's a gamble, isn't if, it? If if Verstappen left Red Bull and they were basically like, oh, well, let's let's do Albon and Gasly as the the lineup, or let's do um, Albon and we'll get Hulkenberg in or something like that. You'd look at that and go, oh, well, Red Bull are scrambling a little bit and. I think Mercedes wouldn't be far off that if it was if Bottas became their number one choice and you partnered someone else with him. The question mark over Hamilton's long term future is the thing that makes the strongest case, I think, for for Ocon because they'll need to. I mean, also there, there's an element of needing to justify the investment they've had in these these junior drivers because let's say Hamilton were to walk away or defect to another team for 2021, most likely he'll still be at Mercedes 2021. But until you've got the contract done, you can't be sure on that contract is unlikely I imagine to be done this year maybe it will but it probably won't be based on previous experience so Mercedes could be in a position where for 2021 they need to try and make a big money play for someone else and you think when you've invested all this money in these two drivers who are very good in Ocon and Russell so you need to put one in and also you've got the question of how much better prepared would Ocon be because let's say they they have Hamilton were to go they won't have faith in Bottas to win the championship for them unless they've got a good a good car advantage so you can't put a driver in fresh and expect them straight away to do it because there's a lot to adapt to. I remember when Bottas moved there, he said he couldn't believe how big a step it was from a team like Williams in terms of just the tools available and all these things you have to learn and understand and set up tricks. So you have to invest in that time to to learn. Ocon will have picked up some of that from his simulator driver role, but the fact is he isn't driving the physical car, so that there's more there's more to learn. So the time is right. And I think Wolf's problem is he does want to keep Bottas in because he's looking at him and thinking, you've done a pretty decent job. you bounced back pretty well this year. But I think being ruthless and pragmatic, you've got to look at it and say, do you know what? Actually, it's the time for Ocon. So I think, yeah, I suspect that'll be the way that Wolf's decision goes. The one counter argument is, do you throw your whole lot in with Hamilton think, we think he's going to stay on, in which case we give him a teammate that's the that's the least disruptive. There is a there is an argument for that as well, which but is why, but there's which also why it's argue, a tough decision. But there's also an argument that you, it's worth the lead driver being kept on his toes. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And uh, you could argue that if if Mercedes evaluates Bottas and says, yeah, okay, he's doing a pretty good job, but he's kind of reaching the ceiling. We're seeing the same patterns year after year. Hamilton might, Hamilton will always say, well, you know, I, I ch he's even said this year, I chase a ghost around like he's playing uh, Gran Turismo or the official Formula One game. Um, you know, that doesn't say much for his teammate, does it? You know, he he could probably benefit from having a driver that more often puts him under serious pressure in terms of raising his own level, especially if the opposition are getting stronger. Especially as Hamilton has a good track record of uh, rising to new challenges. Look how he's made made brilliant use of that title defeat to Rosberg in 2016. There's the that 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 chink in Hamilton's armor is not there anymore, is it? it, it the the that ability to leave some points on the table uh, quite a bit and leave yourself open to some reliability while well, bad luck taking a title from you. I think that experience in 2016 made Hamilton more ruthless. And I think if he had Ocon alongside him, it'd be a bit like Leclerc versus Vettel, except we know that the difference between Hamilton and Vettel is that Hamilton is fundamentally a better driver under pressure. So whereas Leclerc coming in at Ferrari has rattled Vettel and I think prompted a few mistakes here and there, yeah. I think an Ocon coming in at Mercedes, Lewis rises to that. I think and the whole pushes, level goes Yeah, up. exactly. And, yeah. and he takes Ocon with him. And I just think it's win-win. And I love... I agree. I, 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 I loved it when... Mercedes picked Bottas. I thought it was a brave decision because they could have just kept being really simple and gone well. Pascal but they were Berlin also a bit a stuck, weren't they? Because I know you know everyone bar two. I think it was Kvyat and Raikkonen and maybe phoned Wolf after Rosberg unexpectedly retired. Obviously, so many deals were done. It was so late in the day. In the end, they did a deal with one of their customer teams to take their best driver, didn't they? And it, For quite a big fee, and well. that was expensive. So, going back to your point about well, what happens if you're Hamiltonless for 2021, and you need to you need to hire a, a guaranteed top line, and that's only going to get you know factors of ten even more expensive for Mercedes, isn't it? So, mm. but my point is that my, my point is that as much as um, Bottas has struggled, I love the fact that Mercedes did plump for him. It was a gamble in one in some ways because he wasn't proven. It was an expensive one as well because I had to pay for the privilege, and he has he has done pretty decent job he's done certainly what Mercedes need him to do much more so than for example Kimi Räikkönen at Ferrari the last couple of years and then uh, Gasly at Red Bull in the first 12 races of this season but 
where Mercedes is at the moment in terms of its sort of medium term future, I, I just think Ocon represents a, a, a better bet. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got a very compelling case for Ocon there. We should very, very briefly, Scott, touch on Ferrari. Don't want to get bogged down on them. Both their drivers, Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel, are under contract for next year. Is there any reason to expect anything to change there? Is there any slight chance? I see, people have speculated about Vettel. Yeah. The, well, this, this rumour of Vettel maybe going back to Red Bull doesn't die in the paddock and obviously some people in the F1 paddock are slightly loony so they just think that because Vettel goes to the Red Bull motorhome that means he's 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 trying to worm his way back in there or it could be that he just knows a lot of people there because he spent a long time there and he had quite a bit of success there. He's very friendly yeah, with and the team. Yeah, and he's just a decent guy. So and you do often you do often see him dropping in. Yeah, exactly. So it's just I don't I can't imagine there's anything nefarious there. If 2021 it, is a different matter. 2021 is a different matter. I, I I don't think Ferrari changes next year. Everything on the record from Vettel and Bonotto is very much that they're happy with that lineup. Vettel remains committed. Ferrari thinks that Vettel wants to win a title with Ferrari more than anything else. So that all seems to be the case. But it's just whether or not the if basically I I think the only way it changes is is if over the last nine races of the season they come out after the summer break and Leclerc establishes himself as the clear number one for the rest of the year because then I think Vettel sort of goes well do I want to do this for another year or have I got an option to go somewhere else or do I just walk away he's got options available to him he's not the kind of person that's in F1 for the star lifestyle or anything like that I don't think he's the sort of person to to just stick around to pick up a paycheck either. Although he does talk about wanting to make sure he's got a bit of money to uh, buy and restore some old motorbikes, uh, maybe you know, maybe he'll fetter a classic car collection or something like that. But I'm pretty he's sure probably he's probably got to that point already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I, but I don't. He doesn't strike me as the sort of person to 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 do that. So I think it depends on how the second half of the season goes. Yeah, I think uh, although Leclerc probably in recent races established himself as a bit quicker, Vettel's still performing pretty well in the races when mistakes aren't happening. So yeah, I think Ferrari we can probably park for for now unless unless Vettel does something very unexpected. Let's move on, Ben, to the midfield. McLaren we can ignore. They've confirmed Norris and Sainz for, for next season, so set them aside. Yeah. Uh, so Renault's the obvious place to start. Ricardo's under contract. That was a two-year deal he did with them. Nico Hülkenberg's out of contract, and it does seem like he's likely to be on his way now really yes uh that's gone back and forth a bit hasn't it because there were rumors months ago that hulkenberg was looking at angling towards the red bull seat he sees himself as a great stopgap option there uh, and, and you know, get somewhere with verstappen get somewhere well. with verstappen yes yeah. so he has to be probably an outside candidate for that if uh red bull decide their you know their album experiment has failed and they don't fancy bringing kivyat back or resuscitate Gasly's career um Ocon's probably a good option for them if he doesn't get the Mercedes seat I think that's well, probably think, what think, Renault would want I think that was the point where Renault definitely seemed to be getting rid of Hulkenberg as when they were very confident of getting Ocon but they've got to wait on Mercedes now see Ocon fits in well French driver they tried to get him last year yeah I mean he was very close to joining that team wasn't he, he was scuppered by Ricardo's uh shock switch from Red Bull if it hadn't been for that he would have been a Renault driver this year I believe um, it's very difficult looking at the midfield when two major seats in the big three teams are not decided because well, everything down. cascades from that, doesn't it? You well, know, you've got to say, Bottas. If Bottas comes Bottas onto the market, Bottas is a great option for anyone in the midfield. Yeah, he, and we've said he's even potentially a good option for Red Bull given where they are and and Verstappen's status within that team. So, um, so Toto Wolff's decision kind of is the crux of everything. Uh, and if if Ocon falls out of that. Uh, um, quandary then he becomes a, a fantastic option for Renault because of everything you just mentioned if Bottas uh, is rejected from Mercedes he's a great option to go in there except I would say uh, I don't think he and Ricardo would gel particularly um, they've got a rivalry going back to Formula Renault Euro Cup I think in 2008 uh, they don't seem to really get on or like each other so that might cause tensions so probably from Renault's point of view it's You'd want Ocon. You'd probably be hoping that this is no disrespect to Nico Hulkenberg, but just from the kind of nationalistic point of view of that project, um, you'd probably be wanting Ocon to come out of that, um, come out of Mercedes, so you could sign him. But if not, uh, Hulkenberg is probably your best option. You'd want to sign him for another year, wouldn't yeah, he you? He has. He has been the second best of the Renault drivers this year, but only by a small margin. He's very good, and, and I think we uh, Renault seemed to take against him a bit for that crash in, in uh, Hockenheim. But 
that was an unusual set of circumstances with the state. Almost of everyone affair. went off apart he, from Vettel, he wasn't the only he? One. and then he well, nearly crashed at the end of the fine race. Fine margin. Sainz basically did exactly the same thing early in the race. It's just that he spun and that spin slowed him down and made he kept out of the wall and he he finished uh, strongly. So it's it's tiny margins in those conditions. The, the driver lineup is not the problem for Renault. No, at but the moment. It, it's I think it can it, it can be a convenient thing to say as a problem. Yes. Say so we've got this one great guy now we need to upgrade. Yeah. Hulkenberg. Do, do you see any other options at? At Renault, if we think Ocon's probably their first choice, Hulkenberg remains possible because he is the incumbent. They have to do a new deal with him, even if they do want to move him out. Bottas is an outsider, but with the problems that... No, I think it's Ocon or Hulkenberg, personally. Um, I think that the the first choice, one would imagine, would be would be Ocon. But I don't really know what the situation is at the moment with Abitable and Wolf because I know Toto was hurting a lot with... Uh, with with the way that the the Ricardo move happened last summer, because there's the they what, thought they had the deal well, done. There's a handshake deal, wasn't it? Toto, yeah. refer, Toto said a few races into 2019 that they had a. He was asked because he described it as a gentleman's agreement to have Ocon there last year, and he was asked, "Would you do that again?" And he said, "Well, first, Abitable needs to prove to me that he's capable of being a gentleman, because he was really <laughs> yeah." That, and that was that's as, as I've said before, I think on this podcast, strong thing to say on the record about another team boss. So I don't really know. Like obviously that relationship called. I don't know if they've got sort of a bit cosier since then. Although um, going back to what you said earlier, in this instance, Ocon would be free to kind of do his own thing, wouldn't he? You know, the the deal last year was brokered by Mercedes because Ocon was contracted to Mercedes. But yeah. in a situation where Bottas retains his seat, I get the impression that Ocon is. It's more that he'd be cut, when, he'd cut ties and would when, be free to do his own thing. But I don't know when Ocon becomes a free agent because presumably you'd imagine that there's a time. And just like there was simply, with Norris and yeah, 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 be a, be a cut off. yeah exactly normally these cutoffs loiter around the end of August yeah. or September so time. I guess it depends on whether or not Mercedes go to Renault and just say look this guy we can string this out for X number of weeks or months if we want to but what, hey let's do a deal we'll guarantee that he'll he, you can have him because we'll do a deal now while he's still our driver but we've got an option to recall him or something like that or, or does it simply become he's released Renault sign him I think Renault would hold on for the release, I, I think. I think Renault would want a release or at the very least a cast iron sort of three years, which doesn't yeah. serve Mercedes. So, yeah, I think one way or another, it's a good position for Ocon to be in because he's going to be in a decent uh, decent option to well, have. It felt like whatever. he was in a good position last year, didn't it? And, well, uh, that's the, drive, the, the, the driver market moves in well, mysterious ways. He almost got a McLaren drive, but then there were some, uh, some uh, fractiousness between Wolf and uh, McLaren as well, which is uh, interesting. But we should we should actually just sort of bring Haas into this orbit because Hulkenberg's a, a target for Haas potentially. Obviously, their lineup: Kevin Magnussen, Roman Grosjean. Magnussen's under contract for next year. Grosjean isn't, and that team does need to freshen up its driver lineup with at yeah. least one of those. I think Hulkenberg or Bottas would be superb for Haas. Yep. Hulkenberg and Magnussen as a pairing would be interesting, wouldn't it? Well, After their well, we, uh, we, we famous joked, uh, we <laughs> incident joked with in Steiner. the media pen. We, we joked with Steiner about this in, in Hungary. It's just sort of said, because um, you've got two drivers at the moment that keep crashing into each other. So what about, what about bringing in... Uh, <laughs> Bringing in Hulkenberg, so I was just like, "Oh, that's a that's a harsh, that's a horrible question to ask." Short me. memories people have. Don't I, they? I think Bottas would be a, a great signing for Haas, yeah, and I'm, I'm going to yeah. keep saying this for Bottas for various places. But I feel they need a driver. You almost have the campaign lapel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but onto your but shirt, what, what I feel they need, and and just to sort of throw forward, Sergio Perez, I felt would be a good option for Haas. Yep. They did sort of have a look at it, but it looks like he's going to. He's quite close to completing a new racing point deal because you want they need a dependable performer. Their car's been all over the place. They've had aero problems, tire problems, and they've got they've got an irritating driver lineup in that you've got Grosjean, who's, who is when things are right the quicker driver, but who is a bit all over the place. Magnussen, who's maybe not quite as quick, but in many ways a bit more consistent. But also when things start to go awry in races, he tends to get lost more than Grosjean does. So you've got this annoying driver lineup, also that keeps colliding. <laughs> Plus this situation with the car, and you just want a point of calm with a driver, and a, a Bottas type figure would would control. Him. And Bottas certainly isn't going to be driving into his teammate. That's that's definitely not his modus operandi. <laughs> the the one downside there is that unless Haas get on top of it, if you got someone like Bottas in, what you'd have is someone who can qualify an F1 car really quickly in a car that's really quick in qualifying, and then on Sundays you'd have a driver that fades in the races in a car that's bad in race trim. So unless they got on top of that, that that wouldn't necessarily be the best 
combination because Bottas's weakness compared to Hamilton is on is in entire understanding and entire understanding is the thing that's completely baffled Haas at the moment yeah, so. I, but I think also well, it's not necessarily entire understanding but I think uh, in the, I think I think he understands what he needs to do. He just can't do it. Uh, but it, it, it's that. <laughs> well, but, that but, yeah, but, but, that, what, but what it does do is mean if you're trying to diagnose a problem and understand it, you've got a better chance with a driver like Bottas because he's not he's not a poor technical driver. No, not at all. Or, he's or, very or smart. That, well, that kind of thing. A lot would depend on Bottas's mindset and also his his fee that he would command because you know, he's he's become a Grand Prix winner at Mercedes. Uh, and he he may take any kind of deal just to stay on the grid, but he may not. And I, I think Haas are a team of limited resources, uh, and they might end up in a situation kind of like Renault in this year, where you, you pull out all the stops to sign a top driver, but your team's not ready for that driver, and you end up diverting money towards something that isn't really helping you solve your problems. They might be better off taking a, a lesser driver than Bottas, let's say, while they divert as much resource as possible into sorting out their technical problems. Then it comes down to a question of what, what driver do they take? I mean, Hulkenberg, Hulkenberg Magnussen is a interesting lineup. If they I'm can not, kiss I'm and not, make up, it might work. I'm not sure it's the most rounded lineup of all time. I, I do like both drivers, but I, I just, yeah, that, I, I I'd be see looking that at, flaring up. I, I'd be looking at that and thinking that that's a, Decent lineup, but they're, they're they, both, they, they probably need a Kimi Raikkonen. He's under contract to actually, for another year, isn't Hulkenberg he? and Magnussen are actually quite similar characters in the way they approach things, and I think that's not necessarily going to be perfect. And yeah, a Raikkonen figure would be great, and actually Bottas can be a Raikkonen type figure. I think slightly different skill set and, and balance of. Uh, I think Perez would have probably been Hass's number one first choice. choice. King of the but midfield. If, yeah. if he's yeah, exactly king of the midfield, a crown that he obviously loves uh, wearing. Mexican driver in an American team as well. There's but, an element there of that would that would be quite good for Haas, wouldn't it? Out in out in the North American races, and, and of course Perez comes with a big chunk of money as well. Yeah, which makes he, he would t- he would tick all the boxes, I think. But uh, that's why Racing Point need to keep him. And I think if that deal is, you know, if that deal gets over the line, obviously that removes him from the from the equation. So uh, if, if, if Hulkenberg is not a good fit, and Bottas wouldn't wouldn't look to Haas uh, to develop his career further or even save it. Then you kind of end up almost stuck with the same lineup you've got now. We should move on, Scott, to Alfa Romeo. Kimi Raikkonen's under contract. He's been performing really well for them, doing a great job. He really is perfect driver for that sort of team. So, yeah, he's set. Antonio Giovinazzi's place has to be in doubt, doesn't it? Because I've actually been relatively impressed with his pace. He's got onto Raikkonen's level, and actually, there are signs that his underlying pace is, is a little bit better. How, despite the fact Hungary was not a good weekend for him. However, his race performances—he's—I mean, he admitted he was—he was race rusty coming in because he only started three races in the previous two years. But I'm not seeing that improving enough. There have been a few too many mistakes in races, both Silverstone and Germany. Two of the last three races, he was off the track early in the race and losing losing places. So, Giovinazzi, who is the Ferrari place driver, they they own that seat has to be under some threat and if you're Ferrari and you've got this asset you might ask well he's probably not shown that he's good enough to be a Ferrari works driver in Formula 1 so are we better off using him for what for what we know he's an excellent contributor as a simulator driver and then run him in AF Corsa GT races as well yeah it's difficult to know what they're going to do um, Alpha seem quite happy with Giovinazzi actually and they, as a team they actually seem to think that that race rustiness is something that they were supposedly willing to give him half a season to get over so I I wonder if the real pressure will mount if he comes back after the summer break and doesn't kick on the other thing that's in his favour is that there's not really anyone to take his seat off of him because well, Mick Mick, Schumacher's the well, he's not one. ready is he so that he needs to do I, I, I think I think it I say all signs if you add in two and two together I think Giovinazzi just is keeps the seat warm in 2020 and then Mick does a second year in F2 and then steps up in the Alfa Romeo car in 2021. That seems quite logical. That, that's that's the move. I That's probably the logical move, yeah. Yeah, I just wonder if it goes the way of a Red Bull Gasly type situation where you get to the end of the season and the Alfa go, look, that's what we want to do. And we like Gio and there's obvious potential there, but he's, we want to finish fourth in the Constructors' Championship because that is ultimately Alfa's aim. And we can't do that when one driver's scoring, what, like 34 points or something and the other guy's scoring one. So does Geo test their patience too much? And then in which case, what the hell do they do, you know, for, for one year? I mean, if, I mean, if Grosjean gets let's go of Haas, he's not a bad option to have alongside Raikkonen in the he could Alpha. He become Swiss again, couldn't he? Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure Kimi 
depending on how much say he has, particularly as a fan of Grosjean. So that that's a wrinkle, I think, for Grosjean's potential. Although I agree, he's someone you'd look at if he's turfed out of house. They'd be looking at all of those drivers that we've mentioned already who potentially could be turfed out. They'd and want to look at Bottas, wouldn't they, even though that might not work so well with Kimi. Hulkenberg, he was always good at doing a deal with Sauber when he needed to. Yeah. So there's a chance he could go back, back. To that team, I wouldn't uh, rule. Um, I wouldn't also. Even. I wouldn't rule out um, uh, Marcus Ericsson either because there's still a strong link, link between him and, and and the team there. Well, and the he's whole McLaren thing in IndyCar, his IndyCar seat is under threat now, yeah. um, which was meant to be sort of. I think his attention over the first half of the year. I think he'd firmly turned turned off F1 and was looking at Indy. He's had a couple of races where he's shown flashes of real promise, and but the season's been a bit of a mess so far. Um, but now it's suddenly on the rocks after just one year. He's kept his ties with the team. There is obviously some um, some convenient support uh, financially in the background in, in in the team for Marcus. So he's known quantity to the team. It would only be one year to keep the seat warm for Mick, you'd imagine. So I, I wouldn't rule him out. I'm not saying that makes him likely, no. but I, I think he's one of the not quite so obvious options who, who's in the mix yeah, well, I think the fact that seat is Ferrari controlled does lean towards the, the scenario you suggested Scott with uh, Giovinazzi staying on unless they do decide to prematurely promote Mick Schumacher it depends which, on Mick's second I, half of the I season doesn't it if he yeah. suddenly turns out to kick on and, and dominate the second half of the season if he, even if he can't win the championship then you might say oh yeah he's ready and then you just promote him because he's the one they want in that seat I'm sure it's just a case of timing, isn't it? And depending on that timing, uh, yeah, probably you stick with what you've got until he's ready, unless a left field better option than Giovinazzi comes out, who would also be prepared to sign up to a one-year deal. And who would also need to satisfy Ferrari, because Ferrari might just think, sure. actually, we'll leave Giovinazzi in this seat because we don't, we don't want to put Mick in, Mick Schumacher in yet. And so we don't really want to relinquish control of the seat. So we'll and, if, and if Ferrari wants Giovinazzi to come back into the simulator fold because he was so valuable there and they haven't been able to rely on him on in that score this season then that might also pull him out of the the alpha seat uh we should have a look ben at the last couple of teams racing point i think we don't need to get too much into lance stroll's obviously set for life as it were and, uh, <laughs> Perez he's, the is only driver. he's the only f1 driver with tenure isn't he <laughs> <laughs> exactly so that just leaves us with williams george russell's obviously got a long-term deal there and Toto Wolf made very, very clear he feels it would be risk damaging Russell to put him into Mercedes early. So he sort of publicly ruled him out of the Mercedes drive. So Russell's there. But the second seat, there's a very good chance we'll see a change there. Yeah, I think uh, the first half of this season has, has shown what some of us feared would be the case that Robert Kubica, as good as he was, isn't that good anymore. Uh, and remember, he's obviously paying for that drive as well. He's bringing sponsorship. Um, so they've probably got uh, better options that could bring in more income without really hurting the sort of level of performance they would see from that second seat. Well, including I, the guy who they've had in the car at times this year. Yeah, Nicholas Latifi, I think. Uh, Big backing there. Big huge money. backing, yeah. His, his dad owns the biggest food company in Canada. Um, massive money, you know, stroll kind of levels or more. Um He's, he's going to get the super license, I'm pretty sure. With well, he's currently second in F2, F2 and he's, he's looking like it's down to him or Nick De Vries to win the, win the title. And yeah. Uh, yeah, Latifi's got a good chance there. And even if he doesn't win the title, he'll, he'll qualify now. So that brings him massively finally into the picture. It's been, there's been a few seasons, haven't there, with Latifi kind of floating around doing, you know, reserve driving duties for Force India and a few practice sessions and what have you. Well, will but, he be the first Porsche Carrera Cup GB driver to make it to, to F1? Uh, that's a very good, uh, very good question. Although I have been, uh, in fact, because a lot of the um, Autosport Award winners uh, got a run out in, in period in uh, in the Carrera Cup. Be a guest so car, didn't they? I'm trying to remember who uh, may have done it. But it's not, it's not the obvious proving ground for uh, no. future Formula well, he was, One. But he was advised by Eric Boulier to cut that out because for a while, Latifi he was he was very much the sort of well young gentleman driver. He was because he could afford to. He was driving all sorts of things and he thought, oh, this would be good for my development. I'll just keep racing. And actually, he was told to cut out the Porsches. And if you really want to make a go of this, focus on single-seaters and go as far as you can. And he has done. He has improved continuously at a you know, slower rate than obviously some of his peers. Uh, but everything is coming together and aligning for him for next year. You know, He's in at Williams already. Massive backing. They, they you know, they'll... I'm sure they won't make any secret of the fact they could use that. Uh, and if 
that second Kibitza seat is up for grabs for a paying driver anyway. Latifi's your perfect candidate. He, you know, he's he's ready to step up from a license point of view. He's got the money. He's doing a decent enough job at F2. Um, Williams probably aren't going to be in a position even next year where they're going to be, you know, in a really tough midfield constructors championship battle. So you can afford to put the TFE in and see how he see how he goes, knowing that Russell, if the car is any good, will deliver. Will be your lead driver, yeah. One thing I do want to check, Ben, is uh, we talked about Porsche Carrera Cup GB drivers getting into F1. You're not in contention for a seat, are you? Because you have done, <laughs> you have appeared in Porsche Carrera Cup. It is true that I have been in the Porsche Carrera Cup GB, and I have also been in Formula One in a professional capacity. I almost, I almost, I was going to race in, in Carrera Cup GB, but they uh, they have a they have a spec seat there. That you and wouldn't fit. I, I tell you what, it's tight for normally sized people. I've, I've managed to fit about half of me when I went for a seat fitting in it. it well, just, my it just my wasn't Porsche Carrera Cup drive came about because of your failure to fit in the car. And they told ah, me so that they'd been trying for years to get you in and just couldn't quite work things out. And then I came in with my slimmer physique and. I, I, knew that, I, went. I knew there was a problem. I remember Mark Leap, who's a, a standard racing sort of racing driver shape, saying, "Yeah, the seats are quite tight." And I thought, "Blimey, if you think they're tight, then uh, I've got no chance." So, uh, yeah, there's a there's a, a, a challenge. Um, but we digress. I think it's going to be Russell Latifi. I'm fairly so, yeah. fairly sure. I mean, Russell's been other... outstanding. I think he would probably could have been a really serious Mercedes contender had Williams been more competitive this season. If they'd been properly in the midfield fight and Russell, Russell's performances had been you know maybe squeaking him into Q3 uh, scoring in points when Wolf says he's not ready yet I think the fact that Williams have been so far off that's that's fair enough you need to give him a chance to be in the fight properly before you you take the punt um, but he's a he's a great reference for Williams to have going into next season and possibly the year after um, if Mercedes still decides he's not ready, um, what what happens to the second seat? Uh, well, maybe others will come in, but I'm I'm fairly confident they would probably want to look for the money, wouldn't they, to to bolster what has been an underinvested operation? Yeah, I agree. I think it'd be Russell, probably Latifi over Kubica. I think it says a lot for the jobs that the rookies have done this year. Russell, Albon, and and and, and Norris as the the three um, been outstanding. Well, they'll the they'll British, all be there next year. The British representatives, obviously. Alex is a London-born Thai. To I think that's, his, I think that, that's the most popular and common white description, isn't it? He uh, identifies uh, as yeah, Thai. That, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, he he was asked. I was there, um, he was asked at the start of the season what should he be described as, and he said London-born Thai. So that's what I always yeah, exactly. stick with. But I think it's very. I think it just speaks volumes of them. Obviously, George came in with a multi-year deal, but Lando was confirmed alongside signs for. For, for 2020 at McLaren early on ahead of the British Grand Prix and, and yeah Alex has got his promotion to, to Red Bull so he seems to be guaranteed a Toro Rosso drive and maybe even with it I just still, still think it's ridiculous that he's, there's a chance that he might be in a position where he could theoretically fight for the title next year which is just absolutely insane shows how um, shows how weird the F1 driver market can be but well, yeah and just, it shows, just really impressive uh, from the rookies it shows that if you've got the right mindset and the mentality and the mental strength and the robustness to make the most of these chances mm. you can really excel because Albon by his own admission was a little bit slow in adapting to single seaters but he's kind of made up for that in, in spades now and, and one final thing on, on Albon obviously we started on that on that topic um, is uh, he, he joked on, on social media uh, on Monday after it was announced that he knows he's been thrown in the deep end, but he's packed his swimming shorts. And I just think, I do genuinely believe he's got the mentality and he's had got the life and career experience. He's not experienced in the terms of how long he's been around, but just all of the stuff he's gone through, begging dams for an F2 drive, being given the Formula E seat and then Red Bull wanting him so badly for Toro Rosso. Because they could, bottom line is, I know that their line options were limited, but they still worked quite hard. They, they had to go through the a few hoops to get him out of his former region. Yeah, and there were other options yeah, that they exactly. could have gone for. So he he is just he embodies that sort of thing that I think Marco really likes and Red Bull do like is someone who gets a chance amid adversity and 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 grasps it and does a really good job. Are there any other drivers we feel could come up on the rails if you look at F2 Nick DeVries is leading the championship? De Vries, I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether it's something like the uh, something like Zandvoort next year might help him sort of corral enough interest to to buy him a buy him a, a place at one of the back enders. Whether he's someone like Hass or someone would take a punt on, but I, I sort of doubt it. De Vries just kind of seems like a bit of a just sort of he's going to be one of those F two champions that then doesn't do anything F one wise afterwards. That's what it feels like anyway. Maybe I think those two Giotto and. De Vries are probably 
outside contenders for a Toro Rosso drive because Red Bull have so many seats and they have drivers they won't necessarily want to continue yeah, if they need with. To cast around. If they if they want to experiment again, you know, it's worked out really well with Albon. Okay, he was a driver known to them of old, but as you said, he wasn't a contender. They went out and got him. If they end up in a position where they need to go and get somebody, then those are two obvious candidates. De Vries has floated around the Formula One uh, periphery for a while. You know, he was McLaren backed for a long time. Uh, so there's potential there that people in Formula One have spotted in the past, but I don't really feel like the the talent pool in F2 and F3 is is quite as mature as it was at the end of last year. So I think really um, it would take a lot for any of those drivers to to be serious contenders for next year. It's you're probably looking further down the line at 21 or beyond. I do feel like we need to be vaguely aware of SMP. Apart SM- from Mick Schumacher, I should yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think we have to be vaguely aware of SMP, who obviously brought Sorokin into Formula 1 previously. Sorokin's still hanging around. Robert Schwarzman, I think, has the licence points. Schwarzman's and, very good. And is leading F... And, well, if he wins F3, he'll certainly have the licence points. So that those strike me as two drivers there. Sorokin, they tried to keep him in Formula 1, but they couldn't. So there's two drivers there that potentially have the backing of SMP rolling back what they're doing in sports cars. So maybe that impacts the budget. I don't know. But I feel like they're they're two drivers who might have the means if if SMP has the will. Yeah, get them on the grid. yeah, certainly. Um, they're 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 one of those. I think that it's sort of a, it's an organisation that represents a wild card rather than a driver, isn't it? You, you don't difficult to second guess what they're going to want to do. But they don't. I wouldn't also underestimate how much they were burned by the Williams experience. I don't think they'll put that sort of money up unless they're confident it'll be for a genuine midfield chance. And in that situation not 100% convinced that Sorokin or certainly Schwartzman fit anywhere. Well, Williams would be the most obvious fit, wouldn't it? And they, I don't yeah. think they're going to go back there. I, w- I do wonder if there is any any prospect of Sorokin being an outside contender for Renault. He could, he could be. Ties there because he's obviously acting as reserve at Renault and McLaren. Um, and yeah. uh, just if he's not a proven F1 operator so he would be much more of a punt than anyone else but if they can't get Ocon if Hulkenberg's not around if no one else really appeals we know that Renault are spending a lot of money so would that boost it? He's in the game ultimately so, he's there so by definition he, he if, you're, if you're in the mix you've got a chance haven't you? You have to there's always these little curveballs that crop up don't they and you never know if an opportunity appears and SMP might think oh, actually we can seize a chance here so, yeah. But they they weren't so happy with how he performed at Williams either, were they? I remember you, Ed, saying that although, yeah, it, looked, they were... although it looked like it was a case of, oh, Williams haven't delivered what we wanted and so we're off, there was also an argument that Schrockin didn't quite build on the promise he showed at that yeah, there, uh, there end there of f- previous season Abu Dhabi test. There were a few concerns. And I think Sorokin, there were some good signs from Sorokin last year. So it might, it might, whether they were willing to put him in might come down to what his attitude's been like in the interim. He's been working. Obviously, he has been. As Scott mentioned he's 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 around F one still. So yeah, that that uh, you can't really see inside the mind of what SMP might want to do. But they're definitely uh, definitely players. Well, um, I hope that's given a bit of an overview of the driver market. It's it's all very very conditional. But I think that the first move we're all waiting for is the Mercedes decision, which Toto Wolff has put quite a short time scale on. So they need to decide and, and what they're going to do. And I, I I take him at his word when he says it's a real battle for him because I think I think he'd like to keep Bottas. But I think the argument for Ocon gets stronger, particularly with Bottas falling away a little bit in the in the past few races. So do keep an eye on autosport.com. I have the latest on the driver market there and, of course, all the news in the rest of the world of motorsport on our Plus subscriber area for in-depth features on all manner of topics from the whole world. Autosport magazine's out every Thursday. And do check out sistertitlesmotorsport.com, F1 Racing magazine out monthly, and also Motorsport News out every Wednesday. If you like this podcast, please do subscribe or like us on whatever platform of, of liking you favour. Uh, we're usually out every uh, every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Most footwear brands overlook natural materials for cheaper synthetic alternatives. But when it comes to quality, Mother Nature knows best. Allbirds took that idea and ran to create their iconic wool runners. Wool runners are made with premium supernatural materials that are both comfy and durable. So you can run to the ends of the earth or just to the store. Plus, they're machine washable to stay looking as fresh as the first day you got them. The Wool Runner Upper is made with superfine ZQ certified merino wool that's breathable, temperature regulating, and moisture wicking. And the sugarcane based sweet foam midsoles cushion your feet and put a little bounce in every stride with all day support. Allbirds are constantly innovating to increase the performance and longevity of their materials. Even on your toughest outings, you'll wear out before your shoes do. This year, take a big step forward for Mother Nature with the Allbirds Wool Runner. Discover your perfect pair today at allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.